Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Scoop Rewind podcast brought to you by PPG as we take a look at the 2016 Stanley Cup championship won by the Penguins and now begin to talk a little bit more about the 2017 Cup championship, the second half of those back-to-back titles for the Pens. Welcome you into the podcast alongside Sam Casada, Pens Inside Scoop. I'm Josh Getzoff, and our guest today, the man behind the bench for both of those Stanley Cup championships, Pens head coach Mike Sullivan. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Hope you and your family are doing well. Thanks, Josh. It's my pleasure. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're staying safe. We're hunkered down here, uh, like everybody else is doing, just trying to do our part. Yeah, we really appreciate it, Coach, having you come here and join us. Uh, like I said, we're going to get into 2017, but just to put a bow on 2016, real quickly, take me back to uh, Game Six in San Jose. Patrick Hornquist scores the empty netter with about a minute left, and I, I saw you running up and down the bench yelling to the guys, like, settle down, settle down, and then that final seconds tick off. Like, what was that last minute like? What was that moment like when the clock finally hit zero? I guess what was going through your mind to basically come, not only win the championship, but to come as far as you guys did as a team? Well, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, with, with a minute to go, the coaches were trying to make sure we kept the focus because, as you guys know, a minute, a minute is a long time in hockey. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that we closed the game out the right way. We, we kept the necessary focus. Uh, and, and so that was, that was the message behind the bench with, uh, with a minute to go in that game. But so once the, once the clock ticked off the last seconds and the players were jumping over the boards, it's, uh, it's hard to, to put into words uh, the emotions that, that went through my body. Just everything from, uh, you know, I can't believe we actually did it to, uh, you know, being so happy for the players and and watching the raw emotion go over the boards as those guys celebrated to how grateful I was for the opportunity to uh, to be the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins and to be part of this whole experience. So it, it, it's really difficult for me to articulate in words uh, the emotions that went, that went through my body at that particular time. What I can say is it's been one of the most fulfilling experiences uh that i've ever uh ever been through in in my hockey career and uh both as a coach and a player and uh and 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 so that that was the moment that i think it it all came to fruition and i i feel like you're a man that chooses his words very wisely so it kind of stuck out to me whenever they had the uh, stanley cup parade and you talked to all the crowd the huge crowd that was gathered down at the point you said, let's do this again next year. Was there a, a feeling within you that this was a possible back-to-back championship team? Because I feel like you don't say it unless you really have an, an inkling that this team has what it takes to get it done again. Well, in, in some subtle way, it was a little bit of a challenge to our whole group uh, that, hey, we, we can do this again. Uh, remember how good this feeling is, uh, but also remember how difficult it was to get here. And, uh, and if you guys remember, that was the that was the year we were able, for the most part, to keep our team intact, and that's hard to do in today's game with with the business of the game and the salary cap structure and uh, and contracts and you know when you have success, sometimes to a certain extent you become a victim of your own success, and it's difficult to keep guys because they want they get rewarded financially and contractually for for the success that. Uh, that they've had as individuals and in, in, in helping contribute to a Stanley Cup winning team. So, but that particular uh, that particular offseason, we were able to keep uh, 
for the most part, that team intact. And, uh, and, and we knew that and, uh, and we were excited about it. At least I was excited about it as, as the coach. And, uh, you know, and, and I know how, how difficult it is to go back to back. And there's a lot of naysayers that were saying there's, you know, there's no way they can do it. They played so many games and it's such an investment emotionally and physically uh, to win the Stanley cup once. And all of that is true. Uh, but, but I felt strongly uh, in my heart that if any team was going to be capable of, of doing it again, it was this group. And that was the message uh, that we had on day one of training camp when we reconvened, uh, you know, not too many weeks later to start that 2016, 2017 season. Yeah. So you go into that summer, you're now Stanley cup championship winning head coach. Your team has won the cup penguins back on top of the mountain for the first time since 2009. And I'm sure from the coaching perspective for you, uh, the excitement was probably there to get your first full training camp, get everything that's coming with that. And then the World Cup of Hockey comes calling in Team USA to just add another layer of busyness to your schedule and shorten your summer that much more. What was that experience like, I guess, transitioning from celebrating to then all of a sudden preparing to represent your country, working with John Tortorella and his staff, and then jumping into a condensed training camp after all that was said and done? Well, it was a it was a whirlwind from my from my pers my personal experience because I knew the preparation that it was going to take to uh, to prepare for the World Cup and and uh, and make sure that that I brought the necessary contributions to that coaching staff, um, and and so there wasn't a whole lot of downtime that's for sure. But it was something that I loved. Listen to be to represent your country uh, at an event like the World Cup and have the opportunity to work with the best players in the world uh, and the best players in our country, uh, for me, is it, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Uh, I was thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, you know, I, it's well chronicled my relationship with, uh, with Torts. Uh, you know, Torts and I are real good friends. We, we coached together for a long time. And uh, so to have the opportunity to go back behind the bench and be on the same bench with him, uh, was exciting for me, uh, and so uh, as much as it was a busy time, and there wasn't a lot of downtime, it was a fun time for me. I, I just love to do this. I love hockey. I love being around it. I can't get enough. So if it's uh, if it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm all in. If it's the World Cup, I'm all in. Let's go. Let's play. And uh, and that's how I felt. So not a lot of downtime. Uh, not a lot of golf in that summer. That's for sure. But. Uh, but certainly it was a great, opportun a great opportunity uh, to be part of something uh, special, uh, representing your country. How much of a transition was it for you to come back from that and jump into a camp where, if I'm not mistaken, I think there actually was one or two preseason games that actually were played before the World Cup of Hockey ended. Um, so you had a lot of juggling, I'm sure, with coaching responsibilities within your staff that was in Pittsburgh and yourself away from the city. Uh, but then coming back and getting everyone on the same page physically and in person? Well, it, it was fairly seamless. You know, I have such a great staff and uh, and a staff that has a, a lot of experience. You know, Jacques Martin has been a head coach in the NHL for uh, for a lot more years than I've been a head coach in the NHL. So uh, he brings a ton of experience. Talk at the time uh, was a head coach in the league and brings that experience as well. We had so much experience on our staff and we did the due diligence uh, in the off season. We had already built out the whole training camp every single day down to the minute. 
on uh, on what we were going to do every day, both on the ice and off the ice. You know, we talked about the messaging and what and what we were going to uh, what we were going to try to sell to the players, and uh, and so it really was uh, a seamless transition when I came back and joined the joined the group uh, in the early part of the training camp, but. I, I'm just fortunate to have the opportunity to work beside some really good coaches with lots of experience. So, Coach, the the, the story of the 2015-16 team was that the team struggled right out the gate early on, and then you kind of came in, changed things around. They made some trades, brought up some young guys, and then everything kind of came together for a championship run. I feel like the story of the 16-17 team, the regular season anyway, was about injuries. Um, Matt Murray goes down early right at the start of the season. You lose. Sidney Crosby to a concussion. Evgeny Malkin missed 20 games. Carl Hagel missed 21 games. Chris Letang, we'll get into that, but he ends up missing 41 games. Hunter Sheary misses 20 games. Brian Russ, 23. On down the list, Trevor Daly, 25. I really feel like the, the story of the next year was guys stepping in and filling in those roles because the, the adversity you faced the first year around was kind of getting those guys to play a, a different type of with a resolve. But I think the story of the second year, the, the adversity you faced was more about the injuries and having to overcome those. Without a doubt, it, it was uh, it was one of those years where we we couldn't seem to to get through a hockey game without losing somebody. That's certainly what it felt like when we were uh, when we were going through the experience. But you know, I, I think each of those Stanley Cup runs are their own story. Even though we had the same group of players, they're two completely different stories and how how we were able to uh, to win the, those cups. And I I felt like in 2016. Uh, we really evolved into a dominant team, and we had the team going on all cylinders, and uh, and the players uh, just competed so hard. We felt like we were going to win every single game we played. That's that was the feeling, and uh, everything from uh, from the last eighteen twenty games of the regular season right into the playoffs. That was the feeling we had around the team. In twenty seventeen, it was uh, it was more about finding ways it was uh it was key plays at key times it was players stepping up and filling in and playing more significant roles when when the injury bug did hit uh, you know one, one of the stories during that year i think was when we lost chris letang you know there was a lot of naysayers saying there's no way they can win the stanley cup now without their number one defenseman and 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 what what an unbelievable accomplishment the group of defensemen that we had uh they it, and it really it was we, we were trying to replace tanger's contribution by committee with uh with the whole group and we tried to balance the we tried to balance the three pairs we were spreading out the the minutes uh we didn't match as as significantly as we did when we had tanger in the lineup uh, we did some things differently during that year um, just because we felt that was the best game plan to try to win, given the circumstances. And I give the players so much credit because they really embraced that challenge. I think Jim made some key acquisitions for us. You know, we picked up Ronnie Hainsey and players like that at the trade deadline that were so instrumental in helping us win. Uh, and, and then players like Justin Schultz picked up slack for us offensively. He did a great job quarterback on the power play. Uh, Brian Dumoulin that year was terrific through the course of the playoffs. Uh, Ian Cole was was just a solid 200-foot defenseman for us, real good shot blocker, great penalty killer. You know, everybody had their defined roles, and they and they knew what they had to do to help us win. And, and everybody 
took ownership for that. And, and, and it was, it, it was really fun to watch as the coaching staff and, and see this group find ways to win games night in and night out. We weren't as dominant a team as we were the prior year. Uh, but in a lot of ways, it was a real rewarding experience because we, we just found ways to win. We were getting big saves at key times. We were getting a big play at a key time. And it wasn't necessarily a highlight real play. It might have been a block shot or a, uh, just a just a one puck battle on the wall to gain a line or gain a zone. Or uh, it, it was those th- those little things that that are really tough to quantify that most people overlook. But a lot of those little things add up to big things, and and those big things add up to winning. And and that team, I thought, paid so much attention to those small details, game in and game out. That was one of the big reasons why we were able to overcome some of the injuries and some of the adversity that we face. But once again, it boils down to I'm always I'll always say this that 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 hockey's a player's game, and the players are the guys that get it done. And uh, and that group of players that particular year. I can't speak enough about and and their conviction and their willingness to buy into the team concept. And we won games uh, a number of different ways that year. And so uh, it that that was a whole different story than that first Stanley Cup. Completely different uh, ways in which we won, even though we had the same group of players for the most part. One thing that was definitely interesting about your roster that year, and Sam mentioned the resolve that was built in and and the adjustments made when you came on board in the 15-16 campaign. And a big part of the adjustments were some of the players that came up with you from Wilkes-Barre Scranton. And, you know, there was a a horde of them. I mean, Connor Sherry, Tom Kunakle, Matt Murray, uh, Scott Wilson, the the list goes on for guys that came up and contributed that year. In 2016-17, I think a lot of people remember one guy in particular who came up from Wilkes-Barre and made a big impact right around the holiday season, that being Jake Gensel. When you look back on it, how big of a change did he bring to the team just with what we've seen now and come to love about him, his energy, his smarts for the game, and just his ability to perform night in and night out? Well, he's he's a difference maker, as we now know. But back then, when he first got called up, we knew he was a good player. And and we felt like he was a guy that was going to push for the to, for a roster spot. And I don't think it's any secret that uh, that one of the things that I believe in as a coach is that that healthy competition. I think it's a I think it's a good thing when we have young players pushing our existing roster to be better. Uh, and 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 it's that internal push that keeps us all at our best. And and Jake was that guy that year. The prior year. We, as, as you mentioned, Josh, we had we had four or five of them that came up and ended up earning roster spots, and they brought a level of enthusiasm and energy to our to our uh, to our locker room every day, both on the ice and off the ice. And I think, quite honestly, it, it energized our veteran guys. It got it got players like Crosby and Malkin and Latang and Kessel excited about the game again. And so, uh, it it that youthful energy is, I think, is 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 a good ingredient when you're trying to build a winning team and a winning culture. And, and so we were looking for that next wave, who was going to be that guy this year. And and we were hopeful that Jake was going to be that guy, but you never know. And, and until he starts to play in this league and, and, and to see if, if his game's going to transfer at this high level. And, uh, and it just seemed like from day one, when Jake uh, jumped on the scene that, uh, that we got a, we got a feeling early on that this guy was something special. 
And, you know, I, I also think, uh, and you guys know this from watching our team, but I, I don't have any uh, reservation with putting young guys with our star players. And, and this was a guy that I felt like had certain skill sets that could be complementary to Crosby and potentially Malkin. We weren't sure where he was going to fit there, but we were going to try him there and we were going to give him an opportunity. And it just seemed like the minute we put him with Sid, he had an instant chemistry and that chemistry has evolved to this day. And coach, you mentioned a bunch of the guys that have stepped up through injuries. And obviously the biggest injury you guys suffered was Crystal Tang going down and losing for the rest of the, not only the regular season, but the playoffs. But the guy you mentioned was Justin Schultz. And I remember the December he had was almost historic. He had 18 points in a single month, six goals, 12 assists. It was the third most points in the entire National Hockey League. He only trailed two guys by the names of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. So not a bad month for him. Can you talk about his contributions and how big it was getting a guy like down the road, a veteran like Ron Hainsey to come in to help you guys in the defense as a whole as you entered into the playoffs? Well, Schultze was such a huge part of that uh, that Stanley Cup team. And uh, he, he f- helped fill the void offensively in particular uh, that that Tanger normally would bring and uh and so it would have been difficult for us to win if Schulte did didn't play as well as he did and and so uh, that that was a big part of it and uh when Jim was able to acquire Ron Hainsey at the trade deadline I, I think Ronnie brought us so much more than just his performance on the ice here's a veteran guy that's played 700 plus games in the league and never played in a playoff game never mind won a Stanley Cup and so I think there was there was uh, there was a little something in our locker room uh, that I that was tangible. We could sense it as a coaching staff that guys wanted to win for him too. And uh, and he was just a great person. He fit into our locker room uh, so seamlessly. Uh, he was a popular guy, and he brought tons of leadership. So when a guy like Tanger goes down, we're looking for for more leaders to step up in that capacity as well especially on the blue line because you know when you're running the bench uh, and a lot of people may, may not know this but it, you know when you're when you're running the bench the defensemen are down and the forwards are down another end you know a lot of times there's uh, just just because of how far away they are there's not a ton of interaction between defensemen and and forwards the forwards talk a lot the d talk a lot together and once in a while, there'll uh, there'll be some interaction uh, between the two, but Ronnie brought a a a, a consistent uh, voice of uh, leadership to that to the that group of defensemen, shift in and shift out when he was on the bench, and that 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 leadership during the game is a big part of of helping our team overcome some of the ebbs and flows that ha- that occur throughout the course of a game and. And and keeping the, the the right frame of mind, the the right demeanor, so that we can react to any of the adversities when things don't go the right way. Because inevitably, they don't always go your way out there. And and that's something we talk about a lot uh, with with our players. And and it's reacting the right way. Ronnie really helped us in that regard. And then obviously his performance on the ice and how he helped us defensively and his mobility. He's had such a great stick. He helped our transition game. He helped us on the penalty kill. Uh, he was a huge acquisition for us, and it w- I, I don't think we would have been able to, to do what we did and win the Cup if, if he wasn't a part of it. And you mentioned it, it felt like every game you were losing a guy to injury in, in, in the course of a game, but it's not often you lose a guy to injury in warm-ups of a game. So heading into game one, I mean, we all know uh, Matt Murray suffered an injury and Marc-Andre Fleury had to come in 
We know how that played out. But actually, what I'm curious about is when did you find out that Murray wasn't able to go? How quickly was the adjustment? And then uh, just, just t- take us through the whirlwind of those few moments when, when that information kind of trickled down. Well, I didn't find out until uh, somebody came running down off the bench. I think it was Stu came running down off the bench uh, in the middle of warm-up that, that Matt hurt himself. And so uh, what I will tell you is it's a very comforting feeling to know that you have another guy in Marc-Andre Fleury that is is going to uh is going to go in and 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 replace matt for that particular game and to have what we felt were two bona fide number one goaltenders two stanley cup winning goaltenders uh that that we can uh utilize to help us win games uh you know we, we had a we had a confidence level we had a confidence level in in flower and so uh you know that those those goaltending decisions in that that particular uh, point in the season were some of the most difficult decisions that I've ever made as a coach. And uh, but but to have to have a guy like Flower uh, that was ready to to jump in when Matt went down was a comforting feeling. And everyone knows how well he played, especially in those first two two rounds. He was such Flower was such a big part of us winning those those series, uh, especially the Washington series. He made some huge saves at key times uh, that allowed us to 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 win that series, and uh, it, it's hard to win in the playoffs if you don't get those saves. And both of those guys provided them for us in those particular years. But when Matt goes down uh, in the in the warmups in Game One, uh, you know that could sink a lot of teams. And uh, and it, what I loved is is that is the and once again I think this goes back to the leadership that we have on our team is you know that they the guys on in the locker room they 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 took ownership for for what was going to happen and and make sure they react the right way you know it, nobody got spooked uh everybody had the utmost confidence in flower we were just going to go out and play our game I think as that first round series wore on against Columbus, uh, I know that you just did something as far as a look back with NHL on NBC, I believe, with the game against Philadelphia a couple years back in the playoffs where Jake Gensel scored four goals in a series-clinching game. Uh, Before he was putting up a four spot, he was just scoring hat tricks in the playoffs, and that was in game three uh, against Columbus when you guys went up three games to none. Obviously, that game was important for a number of reasons, but when you look back on the run, how important was it just to see where your team stood mentally at that point to go in there? I know Columbus scored quickly. There were a lot of momentum swings up and down in that game. And it seemed that Jake was a guy that persevered through everything and you guys were able to get a stranglehold as a result. Yeah, he had a great game that game. Uh, Sid's line had a great game that game. I thought Sid made an unbelievable play on the overtime goal. Just his uh, his puck protection behind the net, below the goal line. He just simply wore out the defenders. They couldn't stay with him. And and Jake has that uncanny ability to find the soft spots, to find the quiet areas, and uh, that that allows Sid to get him the puck. And so uh, that's the chemistry that's evolved between those two guys. I think winning that game was huge uh, for us. It was such a uh, a psychological boost uh, when you're in a seven game series when you can go up three to nothing versus uh, versus uh, two games to one. That's a completely different scenario. And so uh, I, I think people forget that series was a lot closer than uh, than what the the scores indicated, or you know the fact that we were able to win in in five games. So uh, to win that game, that was a I think that was a key moment in the series. Uh, 
potentially a series a series changing moment and that's what jake's done for us he's uh he's a high stakes player he just has that it you know he has that it uh aspect of his uh of his character that that allows him to be at his best when the stakes are high and uh and that was a that was an example of it he's done that for us time and time again um that's one of one of the things that i think separates jake from others you mentioned the uh, the play, obviously, that you guys had against Columbus and you were able to top Columbus and then sets up the rematch with Washington. Did you think the, the second go-around was much different from the 2016 matchup? I mean, obviously, the goaltenders were different, but other than that, you know, the play, was there anything that kind of stood out to you that may have been different than the second go-around? I'm not sure there was a, a, a lot of difference. You know, Washington has a certain identity they're going to play to it. Uh, the Penguins have a certain identity. We're going to play to it, and uh, they're very different identities. And it's no secret that you know Washington plays a heavy game. They're going to try to be physical against our team. They're going to try to wear us down. Uh, that's that's part of the fabric of their identity. You know, our team is very different. We're a speed team. We're trying to use our skating. We're trying to use our transition game. We're trying to use our our uh, our stick skills and our puck pursuit game to uh, to to win hockey games. So. Uh, the way those those two series played out, both in 16 and 17, I think were similar in nature. They were both really physical. They were both highly emotional. Uh, they were both very even series. Uh, you know, when I look back on on both of those series, uh, those types of series, they could have went either way. I, I think the same thing uh, in the following season when when Washington beat us, we could have very easily beat them. And so there's a fine line and between winning and losing those types of series. And once again, I think it boils down to key plays at key times, big plays at big times, key moments uh, throughout the course of the series uh, where players rise to the occasion. And and our players did that. And so I, I thought game seven in, uh, in that series in 2017 was the best game that we played in that whole playoff run. And, and that was that was one game in my mind that I felt as the coach when we walked away from that game seven, I felt like we were the better team. We, we were that was a game that we deserved to win with the way our team performed to a man. Everyone was locked in. Uh, we, we executed. We made good decisions. We had we had unbelievable effort. And, and as we use the phrase next effort, it's not even second effort. It's third effort. It's fourth effort. It's fifth effort. It's next effort. And uh, and that was the type of game that I thought we had in game seven. And if you guys re- remember that, you know, we had we were up, I think, three games to one. Washington wins game uh, five and six to force a game seven in Washington. And and in a lot of instances that would sink a lot of teams that that's psychologically uh, that's not easy to overcome. I know Washington uh, felt really good about their game. But I also know how we felt about our game going into Washington for Game Seven, and and I had I had a quiet confidence that we were going to go in there and and we were going to put our best game on the ice, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you actually kind of stole my next question, which was the mood, considering that you had a chance in Games Five and Six to close it out. But transitioning from there, a huge game, Game Seven. You talked about the play, but what about a young kid, Brian Ross? I mean, the last time you had a Game Seven was the previous year against Tampa Bay, and he came up with the two big goals. So. No joke that he's going to come up with another big – he had a goal and an assist in the game. It was huge for you guys, figuring in on the two goals. 
What about his play in those kind of clutch situations and, and helping you guys finish off that series? Well, Rusty has shown an ability to score some big goals at key times throughout the course of both of those uh, Stanley Cup runs, and that that game was no different. And uh, he he just has an uncanny ability to rise to the occasion, and that's what he's done for us. He's uh, he's a terrific player, Rusty. His game's really evolved uh, offensively. Uh, his complete overall two-way game. I I think that you know his the the what jumps out at us is. It, it, as far as what he brings to our team is his foot speed and and how he's able to leverage that foot speed in so many different ways to to help our team win games uh, and and offensively uh, is is one way that he utilizes that foot speed. But he's shown an ability to score goals at at key moments and and uh, that game seven was one of them. So you guys win game seven, you advance to the Eastern Conference final second straight year. And I think it's interesting because the year prior, you play a real physical series against Washington, obviously, just like you did in 2017, uh, an emotional series with a divisional rival. And then you go and play the Tampa Bay Lightning in, in 2016, a team that, you know, much like yourselves, played a fast-paced game, a lot of quick transition uh, and, and an up-tempo kind of style. In 2017, you go through a similar process to get to the Eastern Conference Final with two real emotional divisional series in, in Columbus and Washington. Then you face Ottawa, who I think everyone made a, a big deal about their forecheck or lack thereof, uh, their style of play. How much of a transition was that, especially on that kind of a stage where the, the margin for error and adjustment, I guess, is so small to, you know, re not adapt your style because I know you guys didn't necessarily change the way you played, but adapting to the situation of who you were going up against in that Eastern Conference final. Well, every every playoff series takes on its own story. That that's been my experience, and uh, and the nature of how they play out is very different. And so, you know, Ottawa was the Cinderella team that year. They 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 put it all together down the stretch. To their credit, they played extremely well. They were getting tremendous goaltending, uh, and they had a game plan that they believed in and their players bought into it. Uh, and it was a game plan that was very different than what we had faced in that whole playoff run to that particular point. And so it, we knew it was going to take a different type of game to beat those guys. There, was, there, there had to be an element of patience associated with our game. And uh, as you guys know, we have a team that I think its DNA is to make plays and score goals. The, the offense is a big part of the DNA of the, of the Penguins. And so our challenge in that series was going to be that we didn't beat ourselves, And and I say that in a way that we, we were going to have to make sure that we were okay and comfortable playing in a low-scoring game where we weren't going to get a lot of odd man rushes. We weren't going to get a, a lot of, uh, of high-octane offensive opportunity. We were going to have to play in the trenches. There were going to be numbers back all the time because of a lack of forecheck. They weren't going to try to score goals. They were going to try to defend us and and take advantage of any mistakes that we were going to make. Their whole game plan, their whole identity was built on a counterattack. And so we just had to make sure that we were prepared not to feed that counterattack and feed that transition game. And in order to do that, you know, you have to find a comfort level in playing in a different style of play. We had to beat them at their own game, so to speak. And and that was the conversation that we had before the series started. That was the conversation, that the running conversation 
that we had throughout the course of that series. And uh, and once again, it, it, I think it took our players a little bit. It was an adjustment uh, to 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 make sure that that we adjusted our game and just just simply take what the game gives you. And I think that's the lesson learned in that that playoff uh, experience, that series was we just had to take what they gave us, and it wasn't going to be a lot, and we knew it, and we were going to have to we were going to have to create offense different ways. We might have had to rely on our power play. We might have had to rely on our our grind game and just going low to high with the puck and getting traffic at the net and looking to bang in a rebound because we probably weren't going to get a lot of two on ones or three on twos or or uh, transition opportunities where we could create that high octane transition game that our guys love to play. And so th- that that was the message uh, during that series, and uh, that was a hell of a series. I, I mean, uh, you know, you got to give Ottawa a lot of credit. They they were a tough opponent. And uh, it took it took Game Seven and and a couple of overtimes uh, to to win that series. But uh, what a series it was, and uh, how exciting it was to win at home in that environment. I think also another aspect in that series. I know we're going to get to Game Seven in, in a moment, but the goaltending switch that happened during that series. I think we've all seen the shot of uh, Matt Murray with the the flat brim at the end of the bench makes eye contact with you and kind of gives the head nod and you give him the head nod back and he goes in. We all know the story from there. Uh, but, you know, can you kind of take us through your thinking of, of what, when you felt like it was the right time to make that move at that point? Because as you mentioned, you guys had a great luxury on that team with two great goaltenders and Marc-Andre Fleury obviously was so strong the first couple of rounds, but when did you feel like it was, it was the time to, to make that transition and why, I guess? Well, the one thing I'll tell you is, is that it was, that decision uh, is has been the most difficult decision that I've ever made as a coach, and uh, and the reason being is because uh, there was Flower was so good to bring us to that point. We once again felt like we had two bona fide Stanley Cup winning number one goaltenders, uh, and I knew how much it meant to both of those guys. They both want want the net. They're competitive guys. Uh, that was a really, really difficult decision. Some some of the things that we looked at uh, and that that weighed into why I made that decision was we felt like Flower had played a lot of hockey to that point uh, and played in two very difficult rounds to get us to the point where he was. Uh, some of the metrics and the numbers that we look at when we're looking at players' performances and where they're at uh, started to dip a little bit. Uh, and that is not a critique of Flower. It was more a, an observation of the circumstance that it, he, he had played so many good games and hard games, um, and, and there's a fatigue factor that weighs into those types of Stanley Cup runs because it's the hardest hockey you're ever going to play, both physically and emotionally. And as a goaltender, there's an emotional uh, burden associated with playing goal because of the focus and the attention that's necessary throughout the course of 60 minutes. The other thing that, that we talked a lot about as a coaching staff at that particular time was how the games were being played out. And when we were in the Ottawa series, we commanded the puck and territory an awful lot. We had the puck an awful lot in that series. We had the puck in the offensive zone an awful lot. 
So our goaltender spent a long time uh, without action. And then he had to get locked in and, and, and have to make a, a, a key save at a key time after not seeing the puck for a long period of time. We felt, and, and this is just our experience as a coaching staff and just and, and knowing both of our goaltenders' respective games, Flower is almost at his best when he gets bombarded. And, and the more shots he gets, the better he is. When, when he gets a lot of action, he just gets in the moment and, and he plays on his instincts and he's, he's such an athletic goalie, an instinctive goalie. Uh, he tends to be at his best when he gets a lot of action. In the first two rounds, that's the, those were the types of, of series that were played. This round was really different. He wasn't getting a lot of action. It was, it was long stretches where he didn't see the puck, and then all of a sudden the, he'd get a flurry. We felt like Matt, maybe Matt's strength as a goaltender, lended to that type of game that was being played. And so that was part of the discussion that we, that we talked about behind the scenes as a coach and staff. But having said that, listen, I, I, I've said this on a number of occasions because I have so much respect for both Flower and Matt Murray. Uh, these guys are both great people, great goaltenders. That has been by far the most difficult decision that I've ever made as a, as a coach. Uh, I lost sleep over that one. I still lose sleep over that to this day because I know, I know what it means uh, to those guys to want to be in the net. Uh, I do feel good about both both of those guys. I feel good knowing that they both had so much of an influence on that Stanley Cup run, and we simply wouldn't have won the Stanley Cup without either one of them in that particular year. I think it shows that obviously you need a whole team, even down at the second goaltender, to, to win a championship. And you mentioned the confidence you had going into Game 7 against Washington. Was there a similar confidence going into Game 7 against Ottawa? I mean, you had the chance to close it out in Game 6, didn't do so. and then. In the middle of the game, you actually bumped Chris Kunitz up to, to Sid's line. And what ended up being, obviously, a smart fruition is he ends up scoring the double OT winner. I was curious, were you get, did you get a feeling from his game that you wanted to make that move? And then, obviously, how did it feel when he finally put that one in after two overtimes? And I'm sure it was a completely stressful, intense situations. Yeah, we did. Uh, you know, he, we thought he had a really strong game. Him and Connor Sheary both. If my memory serves, serves me well, I think him and Connor were the were the fourth line wings in that particular game. And it was just based on, uh, and I don't remember the details surrounding why we made the decisions we made at that particular time. But one of the things I do remember was that with those two guys in on the, on the fourth line at that particular time, it was going to give me, the coach, the opportunity to double shift Crosby and Malkin into that tandem. So... That was one of the things that we talked about as a coaching staff when we were game planning for that game seven. What ended up happening was we thought as the game evolved, we thought Cooney and Connor had a really strong game. And it to the point where we made the decision to move those guys up uh, throughout the course of that game because of how well they played. And then ultimately Cooney gets the, uh, gets the game winner and, and we couldn't have been happier for him you know, here's a guy that's uh, just a warrior of a of a player, and uh, and and I know how much uh, how much respect his teammates have for him, and and I'm sure it wasn't an easy uh, it wasn't an easy thing for 
either Cooney or or Connor in that circumstance to embrace uh, the role of of playing on that fourth line and, and at that particular time. I remember having conversations with both of them uh, surrounding the decisions that the coaching staff made and why we made them. And to their credit, they they were just all in. They embraced it, what, whatever is best for the team. And, uh, and, and I think it was that selfless attitude that those guys displayed throughout the course of, of those playoff runs. That was part of the reason why we were able to become the team that we became. And uh, it just speaks volumes for the character of the people that were, that were part of those Stanley Cup teams. But, you know, Cooney was, I think, one of the cornerstones of both of those Stanley Cups. For him to score that goal at that, at that particular time uh, as a coach and staff, we couldn't have been happier. That goal obviously sent you guys back to the Stanley Cup final where you match up against the Nashville Predators. And I know, Coach, you've mentioned that uh, every series is a different kind of story. When you look back at the 2016 Stanley Cup final, I think the story from the Western side of things was San Jose had finally cleared the hurdle. They were a contending team in the West for probably a decade plus, but had had their shortcomings that were well-documented. They finally got to the final before facing you guys in 2016. In 2017, you called Ottawa a bit of a Cinderella team. I don't know if we refer to Nashville as a Cinderella team. Maybe more of an upstart kind of team because of how they kind of caught fire and ran through the playoffs and obviously a very deserving team in getting to the Stanley Cup final. But as you went into that series, how did you kind of get ready for a Nashville team that you know obviously had a, a lot of firepower up front, uh, pretty strong goaltending coming to that series in Pecorine, and uh, a city that – I don't think lacked as far as the energy and atmosphere was concerned when you guys went down there and played. Yeah, Nashville was a whole different, uh, that was a whole different story. Uh, I think they put it together at the right time. You know, Nashville was a real good hockey team uh, throughout the course of the season. And and I think that's the, 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 the moral of that story is, is a lot of times uh, there's so much parity in our league. A lot of times it's just getting to the dance. You know, like we talk with our players a lot about making sure that, you know, let's make sure that we get to the playoffs because anything can happen once you get there. And when you have a good team, if you put it together at the right time, uh, then then magic can happen and good things can happen. And I think that was the story uh, of Nashville that particular year. They were a good team. They faced a lot of adversity throughout the course of their, their regular season. They had their ups and downs, but they put it together at the right time and they beat some really good teams to get there. And so we knew that 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 was going to be a real tough opponent. They might have had the best defense core top to bottom, uh, at least their top four, uh, as there was in the league uh, with with Roman Yossi and Ekholm and Subban. And uh, who's the who's I'm, I'm trying to think of the fourth guy they had is that Ellis in that uh, top four. That top four is as good as it gets as it is in the league. You know, they had a goaltender in Pecorine that, that's been one of the premier goalies in the league. And uh, and they had firepower up front. They were a physical team. Uh, they were well coached by Lavi. Uh, so we knew that was going to be a tough series. It was, uh, it, 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 was, uh, it was one of those stories where a team like Nashville just put it together at the right time, and they were playing with a whole lot of confidence. And so you basically split the home and home. You know, you guys won the first two in Pittsburgh. They won the next two in Nashville and then pretty much a blow up victory in, in game five, the, the six, nothing win. And you're going to Nashville. What was it, the feeling like heading into that game six? Because you're, you're one win away the cups right there. I'm sure you can taste it again. And you know, what was your message to the team? Because obviously you don't want them to get ahead of themselves because I'm sure they could feel it and sense it, but what was your message to the team maybe heading into that game six in Nashville? 
Well, I remember talking to him in the practice that uh, before we left, uh, we had a practice here in uh, UPMC. I think it was, if, if my memory serves me well. But I, I remember talking to the team about making sure that we go there with the right mindset, that we're going to go there to win. We're not going to go there to and 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 have a uh, let's uh, wait and see attitude on how the, how is this game going to be played out. You know, the the game, the the series clinching games are always the most difficult. And, uh, and, and as I said to the guys, it, it's all about a mindset. It's all about an attitude. We got to make sure we bring the right attitude. And I, and I felt like we had the blueprint for success in, in the blowout game that we had uh, at home the night before. And so, and, and we tried as a coaching staff, we pointed to that game as the blueprint on how to win. And, uh, and as I said to the guys, and it, as long as we, we go in with the right attitude and the right mindset, we know that we have a game plan that, that can beat this team. It doesn't matter what that other team does, as long as we bring the right attitude and the right mindset going into, the, into that game six. And we didn't want to have to leave it for game seven. I mean, my, my, I didn't say this to the players, but I'm thinking to myself as the coach, you know, anything can happen when it gets down to one game. You could play a real good game and end up on the wrong side of it. And we all know that. And so we didn't want to have to leave it to game seven. We wanted to take care of business then and now. And and that was the message that we were trying to preach as a coaching staff to the team going into that uh, going into that game six. And then it comes down, there's two minutes left in the third period, and it's a zero-zero game. Are you thinking, oh, this is probably going to go to overtime, but then poetic justice that is Patrick Hornquist going against his former team in, in such a big part of obviously your your team for the previous two years. So A, were you thinking this is going to overtime? And then what were your thoughts when you saw Hornquist score? And obviously you had to feel good for him, how, how much that goal meant to him just from every standpoint from against his former team to getting the big the big victory. Yeah, it was uh we we could tell early on in that game that it was going to be a low scoring game. That was one of the hardest fought games that, uh, that we played in the two Stanley cup runs. There was just, there was no room. There wasn't an inch of ice out there. It was physical. Uh, both teams defended extremely hard. Uh, if I remember correctly, we had to kill off a whole lot of penalties, five on threes, five on fours. Our penalty kill unit did an amazing job, but it was going to be one of those games that uh, was going to be a low scoring game. And, uh, and, and so when we were, we were able to get through some of those penalties, uh, those penalty kills, and and uh, and and just try to establish our our five on five game again, you know, we 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 had a confidence level but behind the bench, and uh, we weren't sure how long that game was going to go. That you know, I had a sense behind the bench that you know this this game might be one of those games that that could be one of the longest games in NHL history. <laughs> when when. When Horny Horny's on the ice and uh, Schultz makes a nice job, I think it was Schultz that shot the puck, and he had a couple of he had a couple of shot blockers in his lane, and and he put the puck off the backboard and uh, and got it down to the area, and and Horny once again doing what he does best, being at the net front and uh, being in that area makes a really nice play. It was a heads up play on his part uh, to bank it off the. I think he might have banked it off the goalie. It was right at the side of the net there. Uh, we, Ready to 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 make a play on that on that bank play off the backboard, and uh, when we saw it go in, it w- what an elated moment! Uh, I couldn't have been happier for Horny. Uh, I think after the fact, you know, he was he was emotional on the bench, and uh, we still had time left. We had to defend that lead, and uh, but but for him to score that goal against his former team at that key time in the game, 
that's 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 a moment that that he'll never forget. He'll take that moment uh, uh, well into his uh, his elder years. That's a moment that he's going to share with his kids when they grow up. Yeah, I remember watching the uh, the video, and he, he's actually crying on the bench, even with a minute left in the game. Yeah, he was emotional. He was emotional, and it just goes to show you. You, you talk about raw emotion, but it, it's hard to put into words how much it means to these guys and to all of us that are that a part of uh, that a part of this. When you're that close to winning the Stanley Cup, and and you've you've put so much effort, and it's not just the the playoff runs. It's you know when you talk to players, and I, and I'm always fascinated to listen to what the players say after they win, but and and they always talk about their parents and their families and you know their mom and dad taking them to the rink at seven o'clock in the morning and tying their skates for them when they're when they're six and seven years old you know those are that's the investment that it takes to win at on that stage it's it's the hardest trophy in sports to win and and when when those moments are the culmination of so many sacrifices of not just the player but the player's family, his friends, his loved ones, his teammates, the fans, everybody that supports this group along the way. You know, my my parents used to say to us uh, all the time when in, in when we were kids and then when we had kids of our own, you know, when you're raising kids, it, my, my mom used to say to us all the time, it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to raise, to raise kids and, and support kids through the through their uh, their maturation process and and that that's what I think and when I when you watch Horny on that bench that's what I see when I saw it after the fact and and some of the uh some of the um the highlight uh, reels uh, that that's the thought that comes to my mind is is just how much of an investment that everyone puts in for this moment and 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 I, and I think that whether the players are conscious of it or or it's subconscious. I think that's why they're so emotional, because it's so hard to win. And when you're that close and you have the opportunity, it it's uh, it's an unbelievable feeling. And and that's that's why it's so hard to put into words. And a lot of times when you know you watch those NHL Network uh, commercials when when they interview guys on the ice after they win the Stanley Cup, and and one of my favorite ones is is when they when they go to the guys and and they're speechless. They can't find words, right? But you can see it. It's written all over their face. It's written in their body language. You can almost put yourself in their shoes. That, that's the, that's the that's the the moment. That, and and it, you just can't put it into words. So you know, if you can capture Horny on the bench after scoring that goal, for me, that encapsulates the feeling when you win the Stanley Cup. What a feeling and moment it was in Nashville the year before that in San Jose. Back-to-back Stanley Cup championships for the Penguins. Uh, first team since the 96-97 and 97-98 Detroit Red Wings to pull it off. Uh, and obviously first to the salary cap era. Coach, we really uh, enjoyed this trip down memory lane with you. It was a lot of fun to relive all these moments. And thanks so much for your time. Best wishes to you and your family. And let's all hope we get back into a rink and can see some live hockey soon. All right, guys. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. You guys stay safe. and. Uh... You know, hopefully we'll we'll start playing again. We sure miss it. All right, that is Penn's head coach, Mike Sullivan. For Sam Kassan, I'm Josh Getzoff. Thanks for tuning in to this latest championship memory edition of the Scoop Rewind podcast presented by PPG. We'll catch you next time. And until then, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon.